0: You're listening to the DSBC Podcast. For more information, visit us at dsbc.church. Hello, church family. Uh, This is Dawn Farmer again. Coming to you with the second part of our conversation on Christian nationalism in the church. Uh, This started in an at-the-table experience event that we hosted at DSBC and decided that it is a big enough conversation that we uh, wanted to kind of return back to it, again, answer some of the questions that were asked there, and then, like I said, expand a little bit. So I'm here with uh, Pastor Caleb Campbell and uh, Pastor Jared Doe from Desert City. So hi, guys. Welcome. What's going on? Hey. Hey. So when we stopped off, we were talking about uh, in the last podcast, we were talking about the differences between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And I just want to ask one of the one of the uh, someone even said, you know, here's a just a basic question. Is it OK uh, for me to say I'm proud to be an American? Can you just help me understand that um, in the context of what we're talking about when we're talking about Christian nationalism or uh, contrast that with what we're talking about?
1: Yeah, I mean I I think so. I I love being an American and I love our country and I feel like there's so much that that's good about it that I'm I'm proud to be a part of. Um and so I think I think that's that's great. I think there's a difference from being a prideful American, you know, um, where we think, you know, we are ways the only way or our ways just better than everyone else. Um but I think I think it's it's good to to feel the pride that we have. Um, this is a beautiful country. And, um, and it's something that I want to work for a better America constantly. And, um, with, with me being proud to be a part of this country, like part of the reason is because I'm able to critique it and I'm able to, um, confess the things that aren't right. And, um, and so that that's also what makes me proud about being an American is I'm able to, to do that. There's freedom here uh, and the ability to do that. And so I just think it creates um, th- this place just creates such a so much opportunity. And so for that, I, I find things welling up in my heart that it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here to be a citizen here. Um, now that never trumps my, my loyalty to the kingdom of God. You know, I think it's, I see my myself as a citizen of, of america through that lens of i'm a citizen of the kingdom of god and that's a kingdom that is global and eternal and it shapes how i act as a a, a citizen of this of this nation um but so i I never want to get that in front of being a
2: citizen of the kingdom of god so now i'm kind of rambling
1: but hopefully that's
0: (laughs) that's okay that's great thank you you want to add anything to that caleb
2: yeah, I, I like that distinction, the difference between being proud to be an American and being a prideful American. I think one check on that would be, am I comfortable when people of another nation say that they're proud of their nation without feeling some sort of superiority or supremacy? So, Especially during like the World Cup, right? Like well, not- yeah, I mean, you, you can have that. I, I'll give you that. Um, but, th- but there is a, uh, there is a sense in which, um, s- like saying things that I wouldn't say about my family, like, and this gets really tricky. Like if I say to my family, Hey, you're the best family ever. Uh, we can understand that in a loving, you know, affirmative way. Um, uh, but what I'm not really saying is, Hey, we are like the pinnacle and supreme version of all families forever and should look down on other families. Right. So if I just got to be careful about nuance and language there, if I say, Hey, Americans, the best nation in the world, if I kind of mean it in that jovial, we're the best family, you know, you're the best kids. If we kind of mean like that, I can, I can get down with that. If we mean we're the best in the sense of like supreme superior as a people group that gets really unbiblical really quick. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: It gets to that space too, where we start to, the end justifies the means, right? Like all countries need to look like us because we're the supreme, we're the best. So yeah, you know, and how it, does
2: that go? And man, this really gets so tricky uh, because most of us flunked out of our civics classes in, <laughs> in school. So like even the language of, I love America, I, I want to be thoughtful about what do I mean? Do I mean... The system, the, the, you know, the, the, the Democrat, Democratic Republic. The institution of a federal government that's got the separation of powers and the legislative, judicial, and executive branch. Is that what I mean when I say I love America? Or, like, who's the America I'm talking about? Do I mean baseball and apple pie and, you know, rock and roll and all that it means to be part of this ethnos that we're a part of? Um, You know, and that's the hard part is America is actually a bunch of different nations, ethnos, um, people groups kind of merged together quite quickly over time. And we still, in my opinion, we still have not figured out how to answer the question, what does it mean to be an American? Because my experience, I kind of think, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a child of Arizona. I'm a, I'm a Southwest American. And my experience is very different than the experience of someone in Seattle or New Orleans or- The South. uh, Gatlinsburg, Yeah, um, yeah whatever it is right so so what is it and that's what that's I think what's causing so many fights is we we still aren't sure what it means to be an American other than I'm subject to the federal government of the United States of America but for me personally when I say I love America I don't really have in mind our system of governance although that's part of it there's some beauty to that there's it's exponentially more than that
0: yeah good I'd like to go back to, again, we were talking about at the end of the last podcast about the differences between um, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And Jared, you talked a little bit about it is of, you know, our first identity is the kingdom of God, is is, uh, members of the kingdom of God. And we are ambassadors of that kingdom in this kingdom of this world. And so can you talk a little bit about, um, use the language before of kind of this over under power?
1: Yeah, I mean, we we were talking about that verse in John 18 that Jesus is on trial before Pilate, and he says, "My kingdom is not out of this world. If if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders." And then there's other times, like at the Last Supper, when he's talking about greatness, and it comes from servitude. And it's he talks about how like the the Lord of the 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 leaders of the Gentiles they lord it over people. That's where the greatness is found, um, but. But the way of the kingdom, greatness isn't found in position or title. Um, it's found in influence that comes from sacrifice. And where the kingdom of the world seeks um, influence by ruling over people, the kingdom of this of, of God seeks um, kind of power under, coming alongside. Um, it's you know the the parables talk about um, like. Uh, uh, you know, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds. Um, it talks about like yeast and dough. And so um, I, I think there's this assumption when we fall into the way of the world's thinking that society's problems can be solved by getting the right version of the kingdom of the world, right? Like the right people and power and the right structures and laws in place. And like, those are things we can we can pursue, but the kingdom of God is isn't about, You know the power over people it's it's much more organic and local and relational um in its nature and we we see that with how the movement of jesus could start in this little corner of the roman empire and within a couple centuries completely you know transform the empire and i mean that's the mustard seed that's the like like that's the story of the the power under it resonates with people. all across the spectrum. But um, it, when, you're, when you're thinking of like how, how that works, like you've got past, Philippians is so great when it talks about the power under. Um we're told to imitate Christ's humility in Philippians 2. And it, it uses language like, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, regard others better than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Philippians 4.8, you know, it says, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable—if there is anything that is excellent, anything praiseworthy—think of such things. Um, That's just so much different than like modern politics and the way that we talk about things and the way that we try to accomplish, you know, a better like like we're trying to get the right version of the kingdom of the world down, and and really just the kingdom of of heaven, the kingdom of God is its power under. And not power over so it's just a completely different way um an upside down way of of operating
2: yeah another way to view that is revelation does a really great job of showcasing the difference between how the kingdoms work in this really like fabulous way right it's very very vibrant Um, in fact one uh, theologian i think it was uh, richard bacham says that um i think it's him who says that uh, the book of revelation kind of reads like how a political cartoon looks where uh-huh. things are really exaggerated to make a greater point. Um, and you've got all these fantastic images uh, to really do critique or lampoon um, the powers that be. And I, and I think Bach comes onto onto something. Again, I think that's him. I'll have to go look it up later. But in Revelation, one of the key things that you have is you have the victorious Jesus conquering over all the kingdoms of this world, putting them under his feet. But he, the image that you have there is he's a lamb. I, you know, and yeah. compared to the Rome, like compared to the dragon, uh, who seems to be powerful according to again the power structures of the kingdoms of this world, you've got a, the king is a lamb, and so we're lamb people. Uh, Jesus actually refers to us as his sheep, so I, I think that should really speak into how we view our relationship to the kingdoms of this world.
0: I so you're saying this like power under versus this power over. So power over, I'm going to force you uh, to act right or follow a certain um, script of what we should look like as a nation versus this power under um, more organic kind of represent representing Christ and just how we act and how we love and how we um, care for our neighbor. Uh, th- does that mean as Christians we shouldn't really be involved in politics of the world?
2: I, I think... I, I get that flex that that's a a possibility for some. And there's certainly uh, many within the Christian tradition and church history that have taken that approach that let's, let's, separate from government and power. We don't want to be seduced by it. That's, in my current thinking, that's not how I understand um, the text to be. So I I think it's an area of wisdom and love. I do think trying to take political power in order for self-preservation or to force just my agenda, I think that's antithetical to the teachings of Jesus. But I do think if we view government as um, how we do our common life together, Right, so just I think. Most of government is boring stuff. That just the infrastructure stuff. It sustains life. It's roads. It's electricity. It's water. Uh, it's a good and godly thing that we have clean water. It's a good and godly thing that our roads are as safe as possible. And so, for those who serve in government, who make sure that stuff happens, that is an act. Of, it can be an act of love of neighbor. But I think for a Jesus follower to take what Jared said as he read the Philippians text, when you go into that space of governmental power, the question is, what do I do with my power? What's my posture to this power? Is it self-advancement, self-preservation, or just me and mine? Or am I called to use this power in the service of others, even, and I would say the service of others that are under my, um, I would say, responsibility or jurisdiction, so to speak. So I have a of responsibility to a certain people group. So like the mayor of Phoenix is specifically applying that uh, serving others through the lens of Phoenicians. Right? The mayor of Phoenix is not in a position to use that power to serve um, you know, people in Andhra Pradesh, India. Uh, this, there is a certain uh, level of domain there but the posture is the same it's service it's use this power in the service of others rather than use this power to gain more power or self-preservation or just protect me and my own interests
1: yeah i i think we we have to be involved in politics like that is a whole sphere of influence and in culture that we have to be present in i think it changes how we approach those actions and conversations and I'm a, I'm a churchman. And so I, you know, I think that the church is the hope of the world. And so I have all sorts of my own reasons to be cynical about any other institution. And, and I, I deal with that with my, my cynicism. Um, but I think what it means is that when we enter into those political structures that are, are trying to make the world a better place, um, we just don't play by the rules that everyone else is playing by. And that's like the rhetoric we use. That's, uh, you know, the, uh, straw manning and packaging ethics into like the world's a comp, a complicated place. And I think that we, again, enter into those conversations, as salt and light and in view of the kingdom of heaven and knowing that those are institutions that need to be redeemed because they're not perfect. Um, learning how to listen to people we disagree with, learning how to love our neighbor, even the ones that we see as enemies. And so I think we, we have to be political. Um, I, I think it's, it's tricky, especially as, as pastors, Caleb, because I'm sure you're, like Desert Springs is probably similar to Desert Springs. We have people all across the aisle and everyone has very strong opinions for how to make the world a better place. And I, and I realize it comes from a place of great deep values and conviction. Like this is, these are things like people care and that's a good thing. Um, right. I think sometimes like it, it goes back to the, the conversation about idolatry. And it goes back to a conversation about our own pride. Um, we see ourselves as having to defend something. And what, what the, the gospel does and what the kingdom of God does is it we, we view each other as born in the image of God. And because of that, there's, there's great respect and honor for people even when we disagree with them. And then I think it just shapes our, our conversation with how we love people that are different than us and love our neighbors. Um, so I, I think we we have to be involved in politics. I just think we are involved differently than the type of uh, back and forth tit for tat, you know, that we see going on, especially in, on social media, but just in our culture right now.
0: Mm. yeah, yeah. Thank you for that, yeah. Just again, being ambassadors, if you think about the term of ambassadors, we've talked about this before is um, that Ambassadors to another country will live within that country and work to to um, make that country a better place while also representing uh, their own country. And so applying that here means we we do have a responsibility to be involved. Um, I think Caleb, you talked a little bit about at the table about our even our role at to critique the nation as a church, um, as followers of Christ. Talk a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, my uh, understanding is that one of the roles that Jesus followers ought to have, regardless of where they're at, is to use their um, power and influence, again, in service of others. So in a democratic republic, I have a vote and I have a voice. And so how do I use my vote and voice in service of others? Another uh, corollary, uh, I think, responsibility is the prophetic voice. So speaking truth to power. So throughout your scriptures, you will see uh, the people of God speaking truth to power. Uh, so like you take like Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, well, the prophets, right? Like even like one of the more famous ones like Jonah, right? He goes in to Nineveh and he speaks truth to power. Uh, or, um, you know, Nathan goes and confronts David, King David, the Lord's anointed. When the Lord's anointed does sin, he sends a prophet and the prophet confronts him. And so there's this prophetic voice, even for those who lived as exiles. So like Daniel, uh, I would argue Joseph, Esther, uh, they, they are in uh, um, situations where they have political influence. They have access to power. And you see in all of those cases, they speak truth to power. They, they will not uh, deny the truth of God, even though they're in the throne room of the king of the kingdom of this world. I think the church is to also take up that mantle and that posture and to, again, use the voice, use the power in service of others. So there is a prophetic voice. And if the church gets um, so connected to the state, it loses its prophetic voice. So there's a a sense in which it needs to be separate enough uh, where it can still speak truth, uh, especially to those, especially for those who, whose voices are not being heard. So language like the marginalized or uh, sometimes people use the word voiceless. I don't tend to prefer that because they have a voice, just no one's listening. And so one of the things that we can do is when we notice that is to speak up and to use our voice uh, in those spaces as well. So not just, and so that role, that engagement with government and politics is not just within government structures, it's also as a church or as, as Jared said, uh, church men and women to be able to say those things when we notice that nobody seems to be listening.
1: Yeah, I love that idea, Caleb, of listening to the stories that no one else wants to listen to. That's good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is not easy, right? Um, there's on and many of these political topics, uh, we can easily use scripture or our belief system to um, justify all sides of the conversation. So I'm, I'm wondering if you guys have any advice for us as um, uh, those who are allowed to vote <laughs> when we are going to vote or where we're participating in political spheres, um, how, how do we, first of all, represent the kingdom of God, even in that, just in that kind of almost individual space of when I'm getting ready to make a decision about voting. We've talked a lot about how we do that relationally. Um, but then also, um, yeah, just how do we, how do I do that from a perspective of being a Jesus follower?
1: I think voting, um, through, through prayer and reflection is essential. Um, I think, I think we should vote. I think that's a huge gift to have the opportunity to do that, and we shouldn't take that for granted. I think there's sometimes where you abstain because you feel convicted to and that's that's okay. Um, but I, I just think it's something that has to be prayerfully considered and reflected on. Um, and so it starts there, at least. It starts with prayer. Anytime we go to the voting booth, um, it has to be something that we just not just because of what we've listened to with our our favorite. You know cable news uh voice um but but being a, a prayerful follower of jesus um who's considered um what the issues are yeah starts with prayer
2: yeah. uh yeah i i i would uh, concur with uh dr doe and i think that that is not a doctor a place yeah. to start to start <laughs> uh I, I think a few things just this is really really a wisdom question and the scriptures are are designed to make us wise unto salvation uh, through faith in Christ alone. And so there's a, a, a scripture guided forming wisdom that the, that the Holy Spirit and uh, the, the communion of saints and the scriptures all kind of works together to form us as a people. So I want to I first say the place to start in politics is, the Bible and the Spirit within the context of a Christian community. So engaging in the study of Scripture, leaning on and relying on the power of the Spirit within a diverse Christian community is the place to start. I don't want to start with my politics and then go to the Bible or my church and make them say what I want. I want to start with the Bible as it's uh, engaged with in a Spirit-guided Christian community. Because if I'm in a, especially if I'm in a diverse Church family, which I think every church family should be as diverse as their local Walmart. Uh, if they if I'm having that conversation, then I, and I'm starting with Jesus, I'm starting with Scripture, uh, and then going to my politics, I'm starting on a firm foundation. And even though and the other thing too is that's going to form my character as well, and how I engage in politics uh, matters. I think, even more than the things I actually vote for oftentimes. Like my character, am I exhibiting the fruit of the spirit? First Corinthians 13, love. Am I elevating the needs of others? Am I being uh, quick to listen and slow to speak as I'm engaging this? Like engagement in politics will form my character unless scripture is forming my character in the spirit through the church. Uh, And I think because it's a wisdom call, we need uh, to engage in diverse opinions and views Uh, We need to listen to those that make me uncomfortable, especially uh, for Christians and brothers and sisters who are making who say things that make me uncomfortable or challenge my political commitments. Um, I I really, really, really want to stress that everybody who follows Jesus should take Jesus word when he says there are many false messiahs out there. People speaking on behalf of God, but they are not of God, that they're false prophets and messiahs. And that's just another way to say false promised ones and false people who say to speak on God's behalf that just because someone is walking, uh, excuse me, just because somebody is talking, God talk. If they're not walking, God walk, don't listen to them. If they don't smell like Jesus, if they don't sound like Jesus, if, if you don't see Jesus character through them, don't, don't listen to them because um, God's name has been thrown around for 1700 years to justify political ends of kingdoms of this world. So don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. And being a part of a diverse local church that's reading the scripture together, powered by the Holy Spirit, will help safeguard me from being deceived by those who are not of Jesus. So I'm going to rest on that church family to, to guide me through that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you said that because um, help me understand the difference between, and I know you 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 both refrained from doing this, of of you're saying as a church family, we should come together, listen to diverse opinions, um, and uh, and form thoughts through that. But yet neither one of you from the stage will get up and say, so-and-so is a false prophet or don't (laughs) vote for this person or do vote for that person um, to your church family that you're leading. So talk a little bit about that.
1: So I'll I'll go first, Caleb. I am, you know, my role in this community is one of a pastor. So I'm, I'm pastoring people who are all in completely different places in their journey. I mean, there's people who've walked into church for the first time in 25 years, or maybe never at all. And there's other people who've been in church for their whole lives. So like, I, I'm trying to pastor the hearts of people and, and everyone's in just different places of their journey. And so, I, I, you, you, like when we preach a sermon, it's, it's always coming from, hopefully, a place of like the pastoral heart for the community. Um, and there's, just a, there's so much to consider within the congregation Um, the second thing is, um, I'm trying to move people towards Jesus, not towards a cause, not towards an issue. I'm trying to move people towards Jesus that I think that moves them towards a cause and an issue. Um, but, but sometimes that is, that's calling out idols and other times that's, um, calling out things that are toxic within our culture. Um, and, but it's always like, how are we moving people towards Jesus? And I think what happens when we get sometimes caught up in the partisan debate as a pastor, is that Caleb and I have heard this term? Um, you one side will use you as a pastor. You can get used by them. Um, yeah. They'll leverage you, you know, for influence. And if if you if the other side will, you you become the enemy, and you you get attacked. They accuse you of all sorts of. Wild terms, which maybe you've experienced that, Caleb. Mm -hmm. And so you become a tool of one side, you become an enemy of the other, and then you're no longer prophetic to either. Mm. And so, as a pastor, we want to have a prophetic voice with wherever people are at in their journey, and we consider that with with the words that we use because we're moving people towards Jesus.
2: Yeah, I agree agree with that. I, I also think that uh borrowed convictions are dangerous Uh, if i get up on a stage and just where i'm at with the lord and in my thought process and then i project that with some sort of biblical authority so to speak or pastoral authority and say you know the 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 bible says to love your neighbor as yourself therefore you need to vote for jared doe for mayor Uh, not only is that really really bad preaching <laughs> and a horrible, horrible way to study the Bible and apply the Bible. It also sets up the congregation to simply borrow my conviction as opposed to becoming wise by the power of the spirit. It, it, you short circuit the system when you just borrow someone else's convictions. And it, and this is where I, I see this a lot where um you know, if you're just borrowing a leader's convictions when they mess up or do something you don't like, all your convictions fall apart. Mm-hmm. Our convictions have got to be centered on Jesus, not some leader, even though Jared's a great leader. You know, I, I would here, definitely, would fo- I would follow him anywhere, but I'm not if I borrow his convictions, it's it's not only dangerous, it's unwise. It's I'm just kind of rubber stamping or cosigning what he thinks.
1: As the mayor, yeah. Caleb, I would make all of your dreams come true.
2: Thank you. I believe you. I believe you. Where do I donate? Where's that donate? Button?
0: Yeah, but that might cause me some harm.
2: <laughs> and, and thus we've entered into the, <laughs> the rough space of governance. Good. That, and the, One other thing too, I would encourage people, Christians who are trying to live the Jesus way, um, to, to, to audit how much time and heart and maybe even emotion, you're investing into the different spaces of governance. And what I mean is I see it, and this is just and, and this is just my opinion, but I see an awful lot of energy and emotion and conversation around federal governance and elections, maybe the presidential election, maybe a senatorial race. Um, and it's kind of all this sound and fury with. To what end? And yet, if we would be wise and apply that same degree of energy to issues that we can actually make change in, right? So, if, so it's one thing to spend 20 hours a week on, you know, listening to political commentary about an issue like abortion. It's another to spend 20 hours a week volunteering at the local clinic, right? So, again, if we, how much of our hearts and our minds are we giving over to these things that, frankly, may or may not actually beget any sort of real impact? And instead of spinning our wheels on arguing ad nauseum about things um, to actually get involved with being part of the solution. And I think that's where the local church can come into play. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just just mean the 501 C three, I mean, like, um, the actual body of believers, right? We can actually be involved in initiating change at the local level. And that's then if we're all doing that around the country, you see a massive uh, movement.
1: Yeah. That's the whole power under thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you guys uh, for approaching this really difficult topic and uh, just your honesty and vulnerability uh, about how you lead where God has placed you. And uh, I look forward to more of these conversations in the future. I'm sure that we're not done. So but this series, we are doing two and we're done for now. But so thank you guys so much. Uh, We will see you next time.